things important to us like whatever We'll defuse bombs, walk marathons and take on whatever together Good morning. This is your wake-up call. The year is 2021. It is no longer safe to transmit information. Phones, computers, and satellites are all vulnerable. But there is a solution. Your storage capacity? I can carry nearly 80 gigs of data in my head. Input the data into the brain of a human courier, like Johnny Mnemonic. Hit me. How do you fit all that in your head anyway? I had to dump a chunk of long-term memory. You had to dump a chunk of what? My childhood. Butterfly. Exactly. How do you do what? What happens if someone ultimately does get a Neuralink installed? What will take place? Well, for version one of the device, it would be um, it, it basically implanted in your skull. So, so you basically uh, take out a chunk of skull, replace, put the Neuralink device in there. Um, you, you put the the electrodes, the electrode threads, very carefully into the, the brain, um, and uh, and then you, you know stitch it up, and um, and you wouldn't even know that somebody has it. The fear is that eventually they have to cut the whole top of someone's head off and put a new top sure. with a whole bunch of wires, and you're gonna get you know the real turbocharged version. I mean, ultimately, if you if you want to go with AI symbiosis, you'll probably want to do something like symbiosis is a scary word when it comes to AI. It's optional. <laughs> I would hope so. Yeah. It's just, I mean, once you enjoy the Dr. Manhattan lifestyle, once you once you become a god, it seems very, very unlikely you don't want to go back to being stupid again. I mean, you, you literally could fundamentally change the way human yeah. beings interface with each other. Yes. Yes. You wouldn't need to talk. <laughs> I'm so scared of that, but so excited about it at the same time. Is that weird? Yeah, I mean, the, the I think this is one of the paths to, um, you, you know, like think like what what, are the, what like AI is getting better and better. Um, so. Now let's assume it's sort of like a, a benign AI scenario. Uh, even in a benign scenario, we're kind of left behind. You know, we're, 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 not, we're not along for the ride. Um, we're just too dumb. Right. So, <laughs> so, so how do you go along for the ride? Um, yeah, so you can't beat him, join him.
felt like this before Come on, get me, get me on the floor DJ, what you, what you waiting for?
butterfly, butterfly, butterfly. The next enterprise I undertook was to develop a computer chip to be placed in the brain with a vast body of knowledge, the history of Western civilization, including the entire works of Shakespeare, all of the holy scriptures, the complete canon of classical art would be available to you in exquisite detail. And these educational chips would be surgically implanted in the brain so that you would no longer have to waste 20 years of your life in school absorbing knowledge that would be readily available on the chip. And through the use of an external database, updates on the knowledge and upgrades on the chip could be achieved without further surgery. You would have behind your left ear a small waterproof cap with a screw top that when removed would expose a 15-pin data port into which more information could be inputted, which you could get through a modem on the telephone. It would be updated every six months unless there was a major breakthrough, such as a Nobel Prize laureate discovering a cure for a disease, or the observation of a new planetary system, or a breakthrough in theoretical physics, all of which could be updated in a special transmission. But there were some drawbacks in acquiring knowledge in this particular way. It was the difference between the money you make and the money you inherit. The person who is born to wealth places a different kind of value than the person who generates wealth. The person who inherits money may be covetous and jealous of it, but is often incapable of earning more, and in many cases dissipates or misuses it. So we found that those given our chip didn't function that successfully in life. They had all this information, but they used it irresponsibly. They appeared on quiz shows, they won trivial pursuit competitions, and many ended up being show-offs, insufferable bores, spewing out meaningless knowledge, because they hadn't incorporated it into a larger intellectual framework. They hadn't done the shovel and spade work that scholars do to uncover knowledge. They had no frame of reference and no way of applying the knowledge. They didn't know anything about what they knew, they just knew what they knew. So we were creating people with great stores of information, but they were like libraries, not human beings. And they were not in the least bit passionate about their interests or their beliefs since they had been implanted in them. So we went back to the drawing board. And here's where you see the necessity of implanting ancillary databases. For example, we came up with what we call frame of reverence, a kind of virtual respect. Though you hadn't earned the knowledge, you felt tremendous respect for the body of information that you possessed. You treated it with reverence. And we created a quasi-religious ceremony around this particular implant of this ancillary database. It was not just a medical procedure, but the implantation of the chip would be administered in a spiritual context. On the day of the implant, Parents and family were invited, and when the patient was wheeled out on a gurney under anesthesia, there was incense burning, a choir singing, robed clergy holding scepters, standing at a pulpit from which scripture was read during the operation. And there would be wine and wafers and chalices and matzah and holy scrolls and stained glass windows through which lights were shown and small children in vestments holding votive cups. And it was a generic religious experience, all-inclusive. But still, there were technical problems. Sometimes in mid-sentence, someone would freeze up and repeat the same word indefinitely and have to be taken to the Institute to be rebooted. And then the New England Journal of Medicine suggested that our technology was not really beneficial because the people who possessed the chip with its great body of knowledge never created anything original or new. They were essentially cyborgs, while those who did not possess the chip were coming up with innovative concepts, fresh ideas, new approaches. So what we'd created were simply people who had technical skills, competent surgeons who could respond to any textbook case, engineers who were capable of working within the boundaries of any known piece of information or equipment. But when confronted with a situation that had not yet been defined in the literature or programmed, they'd freeze and the computer would revert to a factory preset default setting. And they'd say, you know, I'm not prepared to deal with this now. If you'll excuse me, I'll call Data Central and get an update. So that was the downside. On the other hand, we had an awfully successful business selling these chips for $150,000 a piece. 
with hundreds of millions of dollars in profit. It was enormously lucrative. Although there was a considerable backlash against us, many newspapers and magazine articles and TV news reports decrying the dangers of our new technology. But we knew that people wanted our product. Whether or not it was good for them was not necessarily important because we believed in the right to liberty and the pursuit of happiness. And since the pursuit of happiness was subjective, no one should be able to tell someone else how to live and be happy. And we had a huge legal staff set in place to demonstrate that the right to possess knowledge in this manner was in fact implied by the Constitution. And we hired PR firms to say that at every point in human history where a new technology had been developed, there had been people who'd resisted it. If men were meant to fly, people used to say they would have been born with wings. And we called all these kinds of protests regressive in the extreme, resisting the inevitable march of technology as it betters the lot of human beings. And we said, yes, our computer chip is imperfect. Yes, there are shortcomings, but you do not throw out an entire technology just because it doesn't work perfectly. From time to time, there are airplane crashes, but air travel is still essential. Besides, we're going to improve this chip, and soon we're going to create full-blown, rich, wonderful human beings who are going to be not only educationally developed, but ethically evolved. As a matter of fact, we are developing a chip which deepens and enhances the spiritual life. And for those who feel we are creating simply another form of Android with this chip, we are also working on another database that further delineates one's personality, a chip that emphasizes the unique qualities of its user so that the person is unduplicatable, is the only one that ever was or will be. Because it takes what is in you and it amplifies it, causing each human being's individuality to become more perfectly expressed. And all this was presented at televised Senate hearings where there was a movement afoot to have our company disbanded and the chips outlawed. And I thought we were doing rather well until one of our own scientists appeared before the committee to testify against us. And he began by pointing out that our claim that we could create these new chips to more fully individualize people was entirely bogus. The work being done in the research labs had gone nowhere in this regard. And we fought back through corporate leaks characterizing our whistleblowing scientist backstabbing friend as a wife beater, a drunkard, a child molester, a compulsive gambler, and a drug addict who had in fact embezzled money from the corporation. And we hired private investigators to try to uncover information to support some of these charges in order to destroy his credibility and his life. But despite these efforts, we were condemned by the Senate, and so we went belly up, losing billions of dollars of potential future earnings. The Tree of Knowledge Corporation could have become a huge global empire, but it failed. And it was something from which you pick yourself up, dust yourself off, take a deep breath, square your shoulders, look towards the horizon, and move on. Because you can reach the highest star cross the farthest border, attain the tallest peak. You can, from the jaws of disaster, snatch the laurels of triumph. With your own personal spade, you can turn over the golden vein beneath the surface. Yes, if only you can strike away the rough, you can reveal the diamond within you. There are no limits. There is no choice. Nothing but victory. Things like that you can never take back 